Welcome to Keep the Republic with Dr. Daniel Bobinski, editor of True Idaho News. Keep the Republic is brought to you by the Political Action Committee Conservatives of Picture Perfect Window Cleaning, Michael Hahn of Fathom Realty, and ThinkExodus.org. And now, here's Daniel. Well, good morning. It is a beautiful spring morning here, and thank you so much for tuning in to Keep the Republic. As I promised last week, we're going to be hearing from Dr. Richard Amerling today. Dr. Amerling was a physics major, got his medical degree in 1981, did most of his clinical medicine training in New York, did a nephrology fellowship in Philadelphia, kidney disease, and then worked at the Beth Israel Medical Center in downtown Manhattan, where he got a career as a clinical nephrologist. Well, that hospital got bought out, and they started firing the top people and downsizing. And rather than waiting to get fired, he took a teaching job at St. George University down in Grenada, where he worked until COVID hit in 2020. He then went back to New York to help out at Bellevue Hospital in downtown Manhattan, where he got a very close view of that first wave of COVID. And then in June, he saw the ICU empty out. There were no new admissions. And he realized that the epidemic had come and gone and things should have gone back to normal, but they didn't. And at that point, he realized this just was not another epidemic. This was a politically authoritarian move. He saw through the propaganda and has since become quite outspoken about what's really happening in medicine today. He's going to be sharing a little bit about that. I also asked him to share about the recent move towards transgenderism, talk about what's happening in that area. It turns out that Dr. Amerling is on the board of the American Association of Physicians and Surgeons. And he worked for that organization to issue a statement in opposition to the practice of giving drugs to these teens and doing surgery on them. So I want to play this interview nonstop. So let me first give thanks to our sponsors. Let's start off with saying thank you to Conservatives Of. They're a political action committee that helps get Christian, constitutionally minded folks elected to office. And you can help them out by going to conservativesof.com. We have a lot of people in our legislature right now who are there with the help of Conservatives Of. And all you need to do to help them is make a donation. Just go to conservativesof.com and say, hey, thanks for also sponsoring the Keep the Republic show. Also, thanks to Michael Hahn with Fathom Realty. Whether you're buying or selling, you can be confident Mike's going to represent you with integrity. You can reach Michael at IdahoInvestmentProperties.com. That's IdahoInvestmentProperties.com. Michael is a graduate of the Realtors Institute. He holds multiple specialist designations, and he's been doing business in real estate since 2005. Contact Michael again at IdahoInvestmentProperties.com. Also, shout out to Tom Lopak with Picture Perfect Window Cleaning. Springtime's here. You want to look out your windows and see these beautiful spring days. You want those windows clean? Call Picture Perfect Window Cleaning at 208-401-6265, 401-6265, or go to windowcleaningboise.com. They also do more than window cleaning. They do gutter cleaning, pressure washing, and screen repair. Once again, windowcleaningboise.com. And finally, the Exodus Institute. 
They're a fully accredited K-12 online school, and your students will be taught by experienced, credentialed teachers. If you're tired of sending your kids to the woke indoctrination camps, you can check out thinkexodus.org. Christian values, no political agendas, no woke indoctrination. And if you're already homeschooling, they have a supplemental program for kids in 5th through 12th grade. They do all the teaching. They do all the grading. Only 20 bucks a month, and you can cancel anytime. ThinkExodus.org. With that, let us now go straight to my interview with Dr. Richard Ammerling. As a nephrologist, when you see people who get that dosage of remdesivir and then go into kidney failure... You were there in New York at the epicenter of it all. Was there any kind of correlation with kidney failure and COVID versus kidney failure and remdesivir? Well, yeah, we were in the pre-remdesivir phase at that point. So we were seeing kidney failure with the acute severe COVID cases, and we didn't have a clear idea what was causing it. We assumed that there was a lot of blood clotting going on because we know that is a big feature of COVID, mostly due to spike protein activating platelets, which then triggers clotting in the blood vessels, also irritating the lining of blood vessels, which also triggers clotting or, you know, other injuries. So we assume that's what was going on. These were complex, very sick patients, but there was a lot of kidney failure and it was pre-remdesivir. But remdesivir was known for years. I mean, this was a failed antiviral medication, failed in its Ebola trial, and it was known to cause nephrotoxicity or kidney kidney failure. So the pushing of that drug is entirely on Fauci. He single-handedly pushed that drug into the protocols that were being prescribed monolithically and unquestioningly by hospitals and doctors in those hospital systems really have to look in the mirror and say, why was I prescribing this drug? that I knew was toxic and I knew was not going to be helpful. And the trial for remdesivir had a minimal benefit of shortening length of stay in the hospital by a day or two, which is not a clinically meaningful uh, endpoint. It did not meet a mortality endpoint. It did not prevent death. And so it was a failed drug. But Fauci took that study and ran with it and said, this is going to be our standard of care. And sadly, the medical profession was lined up to just go along with it, largely because they were working in a hospital setting, being paid a salary. They were not independent financially. They were dependent on a salary. Doctors, especially younger doctors coming out of medical school with a lot of debt, are extremely vulnerable, and they can be manipulated easily by threats from administration that we're just going to you know, get rid of you. Because they do. They just fire doctors and they figure they'll bring in some other guy. Mm-hmm. They've become commodities in the healthcare business. And it's a sad state of affairs, but they could not stand up and say, no, I'm not going to give this toxic drug that has zero benefit. So this is hospitals then putting forth the protocol, the standard of care, as they might say, that you're going to administer remdesivir. It is the hospital protocol, and you shall not, thou shall not administer hydroxychloroquine, thou shalt not administer ivermectin. And yet we had all that proof that was just ignored. Regular viewers on my show here will know because I've shared this story before, but I asked a local nurse, I said, so why won't doctors 
administer hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin? And she said, we had the same question. We approached doctors at the hospital and said, why not? And they would ignore our question and walk away until they asked one older doctor who said, matter of factly, because I was told that if I administered those drugs, I would be fired. Right, right. Yeah, I call this also the tyranny of evidence-based medicine, where this concept that you can have some august group of experts decide what is the best evidence and then base guidelines on that so-called best evidence, and then everybody slavishly follows along. This is something that I've pushed back against for 20 years, because that's about how long it's been going on. It's a completely bogus concept. Evidence is not science, and evidence can be manufactured for any kind of idea you have. So it's a completely unreliable basis for medical practice, the so-called evidence-based medicine. Yet that is what everybody slavishly follows. And they allowed these guideline committees to set these protocols in place and then allowed them to become the standard of care. And this is a very dangerous concept. We always had a standard of care concept in medicine, which was very loose and general, meaning you treated your patients with respect, you didn't injure them. In other words, you followed the Hippocratic Oath. You would be rigorous in terms of calling them back with test results and staying in touch with them and being honest with them. This is the standard of care loosely defined. It is not supposed to be a specific course of treatment. That is left up to the judgment of the physician traditionally. Tradition. And it's not always the same. And there are many ways to treat diseases. Uh, so there should be variability because everybody's different. There should not be a one-size-fits-all health system. Yet that is what has developed. And if you step outside those standards, you're going to get penalized in some way. Either you're going to get fired from your job in the hospital, or they're going to come after your board certification, which they've done to my colleague, Peter McCullough. They've come after Pierre Corey, Paul Marek, now John Littell, a bunch of other doctors have been targeted for deviating from this so-called standard. And this idea of spreading misinformation and disinformation also comes from this notion that you can have a committee define what is truth and what is misinformation and what is disinformation. All these ideas are extremely dangerous. They're anti-scientific. In fact, they're pre-Galilean. They are really very retro, if you will. But that whole science thing, 20 years ago, 20% of the doctors in this country were employed by hospitals. 80% were independent practice. Today, that is flipped. That's right. It is now 80% of doctors employed by hospitals and only 20% in private practice. So that's going to make these doctors that are employed by hospitals, as you say, young doctors wanting their paycheck because they're so in debt, they will just be obedient to the science, even though it's not science. Well, the science was uh, Anthony Fauci, right? He identified with the science. He, I am the science. Didn't he say that? <laughs> right? So they're following Fauci, the god. Uh, leading them down this this path. No, it's it's a very scary time that we're in. The medical profession has lost its independence, has lost its autonomy. To have an autonomous group of physicians, a large group of physicians, is extremely important in a republic, in a democracy, because they will stand up to protect their patients based on their Hippocratic oath 
against regulations, mandates, vaccine mandates, et cetera, all these things which are gross violations of medical ethics, an ethical medical profession should have stood up and said, no, we will not go along with this. And then they're on their own. And they cannot implement this totalitarian agenda without the medical profession going along with it. Sadly, the medical profession, with some exceptions, obviously, did go along with it. So let's talk about how to fix this, because they did, as you point out, a good job of building up the fear. It went from deaths to cases. And even before all this happened, I was talking to that emergency room physician. And when he first heard of COVID, he was telling me he was terrified. He says, I was prepared to die. All of the data that was coming out of that uh, college in England, which we now find out is funded heavily by Bill Gates, but all of the- And China. CCP funds the Imperial College of London. Oh, they do? They do. Big time. So here's the Imperial College putting out all these these projected deaths and, and this doctor saying, I'm, I'm going to come home and I'm going to bring COVID home to my family and kill my wife and my family and I'll die. And he, he was just terrified of it. So here's a this guy's a 20 year emergency room physician. He's not crazy. He's very level headed. He's just dealing with, you know, everyday emergencies and standard of care. He practices it in a very real way. So he, here they even terrified him. They did a very good job of terrifying the medical community. So it really wasn't a pandemic. It was a plandemic of a fear-demic. And that's what we really have. So you're in the field. You've been in the field for decades. How do we get out of that? Well, it's a matter of educating the public. And they controlled so much of the media through out-and-out censorship. The Trusted News Initiative, which was this cabal of news organizations, I think led by Reuters, I believe, that agreed to promote the vaccine and to not allow any anti-vaccine articles to appear. So this was a conscious, intentional policy. And then we know that the social media outlets like Twitter and Facebook were aggressively censored to try to get the anti-vaccine or the even the people who were suspicious of the vaccine, who were expressing some doubts about it, to censor them and keep them off the social media sites. Uh, this was uh, mediated by the government. It's very obvious now. The FBI had their plants in Twitter. They were pretty much running Twitter. And this was coming out even before Elon Musk took it over through the Alex Berenson lawsuit. He already got discovery showing that the government was involved in these decisions, that Scott Gottlieb, who used to be the head of the FDA and then went immediately to a board position with Pfizer, weighed in on Twitter to ban Alex Berenson. This came out during discovery. So the stories were not getting out. So the the, the overwhelming, uh, the consensus view was what they allowed. So people were misled. They felt that, well, the vast majority of doctors and scientists agree with this. So it must be right. And they trusted this and they went along with it and they rolled up their sleeves and they took these jabs, which were extremely toxic. And we are now seeing the results of that. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's So we have to just get the word out. And one of the most significant uh, positive things that's occurred has been the Elon Musk acquisition of Twitter. Because I've been on Twitter all along, and I'm even seeing that my tweets are getting much more mileage than, than they used to. 
<laughs> and you can now say what you want and you're not going to get shut down. And it's a tremendously liberating thing. So for people who are looking for information on COVID or on anything, go to Twitter now. That is the place to go. And I think that this is going to turn out to be a very key move uh, on the part of Elon Musk in liberating thought and getting people open to the truth again. And that's what we have to do. We have to promote the truth any means possible. But for now, Twitter is the way to go. So, so Twitter, promoting truth. Um, there's probably going to be a need for the video aspect of it, which you can do on Twitter. But uh, I see TikTok as another platform. And I know people say, oh, you know, there's another situation. There's the fear, right? With TikTok is China has got you know, all this spyware and TikTok, and we need to ban TikTok. Well, I don't know if you've seen the legislation that they're wanting to pass to ban TikTok, so to speak. If you thought the Patriot Act was uh, taking away our rights, that was kindergarten compared to what this act is going to do. Right. Better not pass. Just this morning, I was watching this thing. It says, hey, go to any American news source and punch up what's happening in France. And you'll right. get nothing. You'll, I know. Pictures of the Eiffel Tower and tourists. But if you go to TikTok and do the same inquiry, he says, you'll see all of the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people in right. the streets pushing back. Total silence in the United States. Crickets. I know. I know. I've seen a lot of these videos on Twitter, too. But that's the only way that I would be aware of it, frankly. You're yeah. right. It's completely suppressed in the mainstream media. The mainstream media are so obviously controlled. And you cannot trust anything that they say. In fact, what I say is that you, you have to believe the opposite of what they say. Mm -hmm. So, for example, when there's a died suddenly case, and there are more and more every day, if they do not report vaccination status for these died suddenly, you can assume that they were vaccinated. Because yeah, if they weren't, they'd report it. Yeah. Yes. So it's, it's the absence of evidence. The negative evidence uh, is very powerful that this is being censored and controlled. One of the things I want to talk about also with you today is along the same lines is the way that the media controls the narrative. And that is the normalization of this transgender baloney. Right. Um, I will just be right up front to say that my sentence that I teach people and I want them to memorize is, you are under no obligation to participate in anybody's public sexual fantasy. <laughs> but you have the media and even medical professionals now coming out saying that this is normal. When in fact, you go back 15, 20 years ago, this was diagnosed as a condition that needed to be treated. And now it's being actually advocated and pushed. You can take a 15-year-old. In a high school, they go to the nurse's office. They can't get an aspirin, but they can be taken for a full script on testosterone. If it's a female, hey, you might, sure, we'll take it out and get, and not tell your parents. So, same thing in the medical field now, switching this opposite direction. What's going on? Yeah, this has been going on now for a long time. And this is part of, I believe, the Marxist plan to infiltrate and destroy uh, every institution, and now including medicine. Medicine has gone woke. When I was first teaching down in uh, Grenada in 2016 at St. George's, I was very surprised to learn that the students were being taught that when they go in to do a history on a patient, and that was the course I was teaching, right? 
had to make a diagnosis, had to take a history. They were being told to first, after introducing themselves, ask the patient, how would you like me to address you? And that was a sop to the whole gender issue. And I didn't realize it right away, but I, I did. I figured it out. That's a question I have never asked a patient in 40 years of practicing medicine. But now all these students are being taught that is the first thing you have to ask. How would you like me to address you? That was when this whole thing with, with pronouns started to come out. And it's all insane. Let's just come out and say it. There is no scientific basis for the concept of a gender different from biological sex, which is determined by your chromosomes. If you have XX, you're a woman. If you have XY, you're a man. That's it. It doesn't have to be any more complicated than that. This whole issue of gender fluidity is a social construct that was based on a fraudulent study of twin boys, one of whom was raised as a girl. This was brought out by uh, Miriam Grossman, psychiatrist who is very steeped in gender issues, talking with Son Yakielek on Epoch TV. This was based on a study by a psychiatrist by the name of John Money, who was practicing at Johns Hopkins. And he had these two boys, one of whom had an accident during, during uh, circumcision and essentially lost his penis, right? And he convinced the parents to just raise this boy as a girl. And they agreed. They did. And he followed them over the years. He molested them every time they came to uh, be evaluated. They molested him. And finally, the, the boys refused to go. The one boy was raised as a girl, but he never adapted to being a girl. He always remained a boy in his head. And when he found out the truth, it was devastating to him. But he published results of this observation, claiming that there was no problem with this approach to raising a kid as the opposite sex to which they were born. And the media jumped on the bandwagon. He was cited widely. And this became the linchpin of the whole gender fluidity movement, this fraudulent study. And then the uh, the gender-affirming, so-called gender-affirming movement has largely been abandoned in Europe, where it started mm. in England at the Tavistock Center, because there were lawsuits because of dissatisfied converters, people who regretted, the detransitioners. And there are thousands of detransitioners, and all but a few of them are hushed up. You can't hear about them. No. One who has been very courageous and out there is Chloe Cole, and I encourage you to look her up and see what she has to say, because she is extremely smart and very articulate about this. And she talks in detail about how she and her parents were bamboozled into this course of action when she was 12 or 13 years old, and she ended up getting a double mastectomy and regrets it. And to hear her story is, is very gut-wrenching to see what these people are doing. So I've been now calling out physicians who were involved in this mutilating surgery and the prescription of these uh, puberty blockers and hormones, cross-sex hormones, as unethical. This is a violation of medical ethics. You cannot possibly be giving informed consent. You do not know long-term toxicity of these products. Blocking puberty is essentially harmful. Puberty is a normal biological process. Blocking it makes no sense scientifically or medically. It should not be done. And then removing and destroying a functioning organ, sterilizing someone, 
is unethical. And the people who are doing this are violating fundamental ethics. I'm just, I'm just going to say it. If you want to debate me on it, I'll be happy to. But that's where I stand. And I pushed the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, where I am on the board of directors. I pushed through, with, with the help of some of my colleagues there, a statement opposing this gender-affirming care. It's scientifically absurd, and it's ethically <clears throat> beyond the pale. And we are the first medical organization to make such a statement. Hmm. Do you think this goes back to what I was discussing earlier, and it's the prostitution of the medical industry? Are they just in it for the dollar? Well, many are, sadly. There's a lot of money in this gender-affirming care uh, nonsense. There were maybe one or two centers in the United States five years ago. Now there are a few hundred. There, there's a profit margin here. The surgeries are profitable. And then once you get someone into that merry-go-round, they never get off. They're going to be in the medical system forever, dealing with complications of surgery and the, and the hormones. So it's uh, horrible for the patient, but it is good for the bottom line of these hospitals and corporations that are pushing it. Hmm. Chloe was here a couple months ago speaking. Tragic story. I've seen other videos of people who have come out and said, you know, we need to detransition. But again, it's the same thing we we're talking about earlier. You're not going to see it on the news. No. It's not going to be in the mainstream media. But if you go to TikTok, you can find stuff like that because people will put it out there. But we keep calling it gender affirming care. And that is the term that they came up with. Right. I think we should come up with a different term for it and start using it instead of gender affirming because it's not gender affirming it's gender destroying yeah uh so at the wellness company we are very concerned with this and we want to be out in front of the problem and we are very seriously considering and you know initial stages shall we say of planning a response which would be to have counselors on board who would be available via telemedicine to reaffirm gender. We would call it the gender reaffirmation center, where people would call in and talk with a counselor who would reassure them that their biological sex is their gender. And that eventually, as they get through puberty, they will come to accept it, and they'll be much better off for it. And that is, of course, the natural history of so-called gender dysphoria. It resolves spontaneously by the end of puberty in over 90%. Well, I'm going to have to interrupt the interview here because we are at the end of our time for today. But if you would like to watch the entire hour-long interview with Dr. Amerling, and yes, I did say watch because it's actually a video interview, you can go to keeptherepublic.us. That's keeptherepublic.us. And again, very informative hour. Highly recommend it. And with that, thanks again to our sponsors for making this show possible. And I will catch you next week with more Keep the Republic. Until then, be blessed. Thank you for tuning in to Keep the Republic, sponsored by Conservatives of, Picture Perfect Window Cleaning, Michael Hahn of Fathom Realty, and thinkexodus.org. Also, please pray for our republic and for godly men and women who will work to keep it.